0: What's up, everybody? We are back once again with another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking a lot of NBA playoff basketball as we have ended the conference semifinals and move on into the conference finals. Also, going to talk about this past weekend's U.S. Open and what's going on in Major League Baseball. Episode 46 coming at you right now. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in once again. I'm Landon Pangburn, along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. We've been on a little two-week break once again, but it's been a big two weeks in sports with a lot to talk about and a lot to catch up on, so I'm looking forward to it today. P, how you doing?
1: I'm good. It's been a super eventful two weeks, kind of in all facets. We had Juice in town from London. Good Let's to go. see that guy. Uh, we had Patrick in town from New York. It's kind of weird. I'm finally starting to see friends that I haven't seen in like over a year in some cases two years yeah you know this whole pandemic thing so that was great and then we've got a lot going on in the sports world too like you mentioned during the intro we're in the conference finals now kind of a strange lineup in the conference finals teams you might not have expected to see but luckily one of them is the hometown Hawks. so that's been a lot of fun and
0: and the u.s open i mean it's 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 busy in the sports world yeah we're going to talk about all that in just a minute i'm curious with the juice being in london for a while now is he only chelsea soccer or does he still follow american sports I think he still loosely follows American sports, but
1: it's kind of harder when you're like six hours ahead. Oh, for sure. You can never really watch anything.
0: I I hate it enough when the... NBA playoff games start at 10 o'clock Eastern time. That's like in the middle of the night there. It's just never going to happen. Yeah, that's
1: a battle. I mean, I, yeah,
0: I can't even watch West Coast sports and it's yeah. only three hours off.
1: Yep, I'm with you. All right, what are we going to start off with? Some NBA talk? Let's do it. You want to talk about the Hawks first? Let's do it. They're into the Eastern Conference Finals. Pretty incredible run that they had there. Crazy. They were just dead in the water in back-to-back games against the Sixers and overcame huge leads. In one case, what was it? Game five, they came back from down 26.
0: 26 total. They were down 24 with two minutes left in the third quarter so massive comeback yeah so after that huge comeback
1: to win game five they were up 3-2 came back to atlanta with a chance to close out the series and lost that game to make it 3-3 and go back to philly that one kind of felt like a must win you know it's really really hard to close out on the road in a game seven but they somehow pulled it off the hawks win game seven in philly 103 to 96 and trey young had a pretty awful night like one of the worst games of his career honestly he shot five for 23 from the field but kevin herter Mm. red velvet led the way with 27 points
0: picked up the boys they got the win they're on to the eastern conference finals yeah i think even more impressive than the comebacks in and winning game seven is how they did it right it wasn't trey young who popped off and did all the work it was the supporting cast you already mentioned kevin herter also guys like danilo gallinari clint capella had a good game it was just an all-around team effort despite the fact that they're also missing two key pieces still in cam reddish and deandre hunter who's out for the year so amazing performance by the hawks you talked about how it's kind of an obscure group of teams that are still left one cool stat that i found is the hawks are only the second team i don't even know who the first is but they're only the second team in the current playoff format which has been around since 1984 to make the conference finals with zero all-stars really yeah
1: that's interesting yeah. wait trey young was not an all-star Trae young
0: was not an all-star you know who was who? Ben Simmons oh yeah
1: <laughs> you know, more on Ben Simmons in a second he had a pretty rough night but yeah the Hawks I mean people obviously kind of counted them out in round one against the Knicks to a certain extent I think more of the experts were on the Knicks and then they counted them out in round two against the sixers as well and now people are picking them to lose to the bucks and I think you know that's warranted but they're a good team and I think it is the sign of a good team when your best player and leading scorer can go five for 23 and you can win a game seven on the road I mean they're just starting to look like a really good and mature group and like we said they made some really good kind of veteran additions this off season and I feel like you know that's kind of the result and that's what's happening now and they lost guys like DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish to injury who were some of their best wing defenders and best wing players and so for them to you know be without those guys and still be eight nine
0: ten guys deep it's just a deep, good team. It is. I think they're really going to miss, especially DeAndre Hunter in this next series against the bucks. I think he's their ideal matchup against the guys like Chris Middleton. So that's going to hurt. But back to the Kevin Herter performance. I think my favorite part about it was not that just that he had a good game. It was that he kind of saw that Trey young was not having a good game and decided like when we need a bucket tonight, I am going to designate myself as the bucket getter. And so like when they were struggling, they needed something to happen. He took the ball and he made it happen it's just like the the balls and the confidence he had the entire night was fun to watch I like that
1: nickname Ooh, he's already got red velvet which is incredible but now he's red velvet the certified bucket getter let's go. <laughs> gotta pick up Trey Young when he can so let's go to the flip side here I know we're you know saying a lot of things good things about the Hawks but people are saying a, a decent amount of bad things about the Sixers specifically Ben Simmons he was just getting torched all over the place you know on TNT in the post game in the press conferences, even from Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid. He was getting
0: torched on social media. What'd you see there? I mean, it's kind of hard to argue the opposite way, right? Just with being the number one overall pick, being one of the centerpieces of the franchise, aside from Joel Embiid, everyone knows he's their best player, but Ben Simmons is supposed to be their number two guy. When you can't even have him on the floor at the end of a game seven because he's such an offensive liability that's a problem. And I just don't really know. People have talked about it. I have no idea where they go from here. They are in a really tough spot considering the fact that he is under contract for five years on $177 million. People keep on talking about trading him. Who's going to trade for him? It's not like these other teams turn off the playoffs and don't watch it. Everyone in the world just saw how bad he was in the playoffs. Who's going to pay $177 million over five years and give up some assets in order to get that in return? I just don't know what you do if you're the Sixers.
1: Yeah, who trades for him is a great question. I mean, I think he will be on the market, so we're going to find out if they're able to get fair return or not, but Ben Simmons, just to kind of bring this all home, shot 34.2% from the free throw line this postseason, which was the worst of all time with a minimum of 70 attempts, so very, very bad, and then it kind of came to a boiling point in Game 7 last night against the Hawks where he had kind of an open dunk and passed it up. To, to pass the ball to a guy who ended up missing a layup. Anyway, it was a pivotal point in the game. In the post-game press conference, Joel Embiid kind of pointed at that moment as the turning point. Mm-hmm. And then Doc Rivers, his head coach, was asked, you know, can Ben Simmons be the starting point guard on a championship team? And Doc responded, I don't know. So I just think that this relationship is reaching the point of no return. I mean, Joel Embiid is the franchise player. Doc Rivers is their new head coach. They have a new GM in Daryl Morey. None of those three guys is going to be the scapegoat. They need somebody to blame because it's kind of a team and a franchise that's been on the brink for years and hasn't been able to get it done. It has to be Ben Simmons. I don't know where he gets traded, but I think he's got to be gone.
0: Well, Doc is also not too far from being the scapegoat because he has a history of not performing in big situations. He won the one championship with the big three plus Rondo in Boston. But since then, he has lost a lot of big games, blown some big leads in series. So he's not that far behind Ben Simmons in terms of scapegoat. But yeah, you, you talked about how he passed up that shot, but it wasn't just that it was The entire series, he became a complete head case. Like the the main problem is that he is bad at offense, right? But the second biggest problem is that he now has zero confidence in his offensive ability. He shot zero field goals in the fourth quarter in the last four games.
1: Yeah, I just he's such a like conundrum because the way that he has not progressed from his rookie year offensively makes people think that he doesn't care about basketball. He's not working on it in the offseason. He doesn't care that much. But like the fact that he's so good at defense, like isn't he first NBA
0: like team? I think he finished second in defensive player of the year voting.
1: He did. OK, yeah. so he's first team all defense like and that is indicative of his effort. Right. So it's not that he doesn't care. I guess he just you know, has a lot of things to train and work on offensively, which he says he's going to prioritize this offseason. So who knows? Maybe he can turn things around. But yeah,
0: he's having a rough time right now. We've talked about it before. Just the complete difference. It's almost a different sport. Between regular season and postseason NBA basketball, just the fact that Ben Simmons is capable of averaging sixteen points a game for his career in the regular season and then he looks this inept in the playoffs just shows you how little guys try during the regular season on defense, right? Yeah. Like how do they, how do you let that guy score sixteen a game? That's absurd. That guy sucks. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's ugly. So yeah, I don't know what they do there. One guy who I do think deserves some credit on the Sixers because he is much better than people thought and he is vastly underpaid is Seth Curry. Can we give a little bit oh, of- Oh, I, like, I love Seth Curry. Oh, man. He's gotten so, incredibly good in the last couple of years. He's, he's starting to look a lot more like Steph out there. I he's mean, he, really good, yeah, but no is. one talks about him yet, like at all. So I was showing people the other night because I started talking about, I was out at uh, Irby's Tavern in Buckhead for for game five, or sorry, game six. And Seth Curry started popping off and he had played really well the game before that. So I started talking about how good he was and people were kind of like brushing it aside. Like I was joking or something. I was like, no, I'm dead serious. And I pulled up the stat that NBA history, career three-point percentage, number one all-time is Steve Kerr. Number two is Seth Curry. Like he's the second leading three-point shooter in NBA history in in terms of percentage. Like He's no joke. What is that? Like 43? Uh, Like 40. I think Steve Kerr's 45 point whatever instead seth, uh, seth is 44 point something
1: yeah i mean he, he is really good he's like he's a little bit i think of a defensive liability like if he got a little bit better at defense though he's an all-star
0: i mean he's guy's a, good he's really good yeah. all-star might be pushing it a little bit but he's a very he's the third best player on a very good team like he's no joke right he, he's won ben simmons
1: away from being you know in the media finals this year yeah so, so
0: 177 million dollars for ben simmons or 32 million over four years for seth curry i think i'm gonna go with seth curry <laughs>
1: Yeah, you hate to see it. My prediction, early, Ben Simmons gets traded to the Wizards for Bradley Beal. If you're the Wizards, do
0: you really want to do that? No. No, not at all. <laughs> but,
1: but it's Beal is gone next offseason, so get something for him. I guess, you know, a young could-be star if he works on offense. I mean, if, if Ben Simmons goes to the Wizards, we will never hear from him again. Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook is a hilarious backcourt, <laughs> so I also kind of want to see that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good time. <laughs> he would let Russ shoot every shot and just play D. They're a match made in heaven.
0: Lots of triple-doubles, very few wins. Yes. Yes. Agreed. All right, All well, let's,
1: let's move on to the Eastern Conference Finals now. So, Hawks versus Bucks. Bucks opened at minus 480. I'm a little bit surprised how heavy of favorites they are, given that they were down 2-0 to the Nets. Did not look great. You know, might have lost the series, might have even gotten swept if Harden and or Kyrie was healthy. So I don't know. It doesn't feel like that strong of a a favorite to me, but it's going to be an interesting matchup. Atlanta Hawks against their former head coach, Mike Buddenholzer. What do you think
0: in this series? Well, I do want to, first of all, remind you that you now owe me dinner because the Brooklyn Nets did not go further than the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs. And I would like to specify before you try to clap back, when we made this bet a long time ago, one of my reasons for taking the Bucks was because I did not think that the big three could stay healthy. And yes, two of them got hurt, and that hurt <laughs> you, but that was my reason for making the bet. Okay,
1: that that's a good call. I, I don't think that was your sole reason for making the bet. I think that you just you know didn't see the Nets gelling and becoming a good team, but I will give you that. You did win the bet. Run it back. But it, what matters to me, I know that I owe you dinner, but what matters to me is that you saw that the Bucks were clearly the inferior team Aside from the injuries, uh,
0: yeah, I think if if the full, I think the fully healthy Nets are clearly superior to everybody else in the NBA this year. I think they would have run the run the table, but they're not because Kyrie and James Harden and sometimes Kevin Durant are frequently hurt.
1: Yep, we just never got to see the fully healthy Net lineup. Thank God, because I hate them. So, um, talking about what are we talking about? Actually, uh, I said the Bucks opened up at minus four eighty in the series, heavy favorite. What do you think of the series? And you decided to
0: talk about the Nets instead? Yeah, because I'm excited about dinner, but. I am also surprised about how big of favorites they are. I thought the Hawks would be a little bit closer because when you watch the Bucks, it's not the most impressive brand of basketball, right? Like I was reminded very clearly in this past series that Giannis is still pretty limited offensively a lot of the time. He has no confidence either pulling up from 15 feet when he's open and they're backing off of him. Drew Holiday has not played well offensively. Chris Middleton has been maybe the best player on their team so far these playoffs. He's really good and I think he's another underrated guy who is already highly respected but maybe deserves to be kind of in that top tier of NBA players more than the kind of like one A tier that he's currently in. I do think the Bucks deserve to be favored. I don't think that they deserve to be favored by -480. Yeah,
1: I agree with you there and just real quick again going back to the Bucks and Nets, even though you and I have both been, you know, not the biggest fans of Kevin Durant ever since he joined the Warriors. We don't like Kyrie. I found myself during that series wanting the Nets to win just because I find the Bucks so boring. Even with how much of a freak Giannis is, you know, back-to-back MVP, the Bucs just have no juice. Like, they have very little juice. <laughs> Their they're second and third best player, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, they're both so good on both ends of the floor, but they're also just boring. Like, Chris Middleton is just like the mid-range god. Like, sick, dude. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. want to watch this.
0: Yeah, he's, he's really good, though. But yeah, I'm with you. They're not very exciting to watch. Luckily, the series will still be exciting because it's impossible to not have fun while watching the Hawks, right? Although it's going to be really strange, or I shouldn't say strange, interesting to see how Drew Holiday matches up with Trey Young because this whole past series, we got to see a lot of Trey Young against a bigger guy in Ben Simmons, who Ben Simmons, when he was on him, played really well defensively against Trey, especially in game seven. But seeing Trey Young against a really good defender's own size is just kind of fun after what we've seen for the last seven games.
1: Yeah. And Trey, he kills people with that step back three from like five feet behind the line. I mean, I think that he could give Drew Holiday some problems. They're going to need him to step up and be big in that series. But yeah, dude, I, I just, I hope that the Hawks can keep it rolling. Kevin, red velvet herder, the bucket getter, he's got more juice than the entire bucket or the entire Bucks team. It does. So, I don't know. I, I hope the Hawks can at least make it close. Minus 480. I'm, I'm out on that. Give me the Hawks plus, what is it? I think like 360. Yeah. I like those odds. Let's go. The
0: only Hawks game I went to this year was Hawks versus Bucks, and the Hawks won. So
1: there you go yeah i actually looked it up they played three times this year the bucks won two of them but trey didn't play in two of the three games so it's hard to know there's not a whole lot of precedent and i think one of them was early in the season before nate Nate mcmillan took over for the hawks and Mm -hmm. obviously that totally changed them as a team so anyway gonna be a great
0: series starts on wednesday night looking forward to it someone asked me today and i'm curious your answer to this question someone asked is lloyd pierce watching the playoffs right now and if so what is he thinking
1: I think he's really, really sad. I'm trying to think of like a similar comparison to like when someone leaves. Dude, it might be Mark Jackson with the Warriors. (laughs) Mark Jackson coached the Warriors. They fired him, hired Steve Kerr, and they immediately turned into like one of the best dynasties of the century. (laughs) So I think that Lloyd Pierce might be feeling what Mark Jackson felt Uh, when the Warriors
0: started winning titles. Addition by subtraction?
1: Yes, clearly. Good for Nate McMillan
0: though. Nate McMillan has done a heck of a job. Like props to that guy. We at least need to mention his name on here.
1: He's done amazing. And I heard something the other day from Hawks fans, so I would think it's legitimate. I didn't look it up myself. But apparently he is not interested in being the head coach. And I don't know if that will change, but apparently he does not want to be a head coach. He likes being an assistant.
0: That's very interesting. So if you,
1: if you would be willing to stay around and work for somebody like Rick Carlisle, I mean, that could be pretty incredible. Hey,
0: we have, I mean, we're not going to get into much of that because we're talking about the playoffs, but Rick Carlisle being kind of a free agent coach is a big deal. People consider him like one of the best coaches of this era of basketball. I would say it's like Greg Popovich and then Rick Carlisle. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah. He's
1: an offensive genius. He's might be a better coach at this point than Greg Popovich because Popovich just loves shooting long twos.
0: But yeah. Yeah. So like. This year, I believe, the Nets had the most efficient offense in NBA history. Prior to that, the most efficient offense in NBA history was the Mavs last year with a significantly less talented roster than the current Nets. So there you go, Rick Carlisle.
1: It's a big thing floating out there. But anyway, let's circle back to the playoffs. You want to move over to the Western Conference? Let's do it. Yes, yeah, so we've got the Suns and the Clippers. Love this matchup. It's kind of weird with a couple huge guys out. But anyway, the Suns have gone up uh, 1-0. They beat them on Sunday. Uh, close game. You know, mm-hmm. the Clips made it close into the, the fourth quarter. I think Paul George led the way with like 34 points.
0: Uh, the
1: Suns ended up pulling it out at home. House was rocking. What would
0: you think of game one? Well, first of all, it's incredible that the Clippers are even here, right? Going, Having Kawhi go down at 2-2 against the Jazz and then winning two in a row against them as the one seed was completely unexpected, including that crazy performance by Terrence Mann. So amazing job by the Clippers just to be here. I think that it only goes downhill from here for the Clippers, right? Like if you watched game 1, the Clippers made 23s. They shot twice as many free throws from the Suns. They're not going to get Kawhi back and CP3 is going to come back at some point in time in the series and they still lost to the Suns. Like I just don't see how it gets better. I honestly would be surprised if this series goes beyond 5 games. Are you saying what I think you're saying? Suns in four? Maybe Suns in four. (laughs) That guy is a legend. If not, Suns in five at most. Okay, yeah,
1: I kind of agree with you there. The Clippers are just overmatched here without Kawhi. I have literally no clue how they beat the Jazz. I'm glad I didn't bet on it. I would have bet my life against them winning two in a row without Kawhi. I, I think maybe it's kind of one of those things where like the backup quarterback comes in and you don't have film on what the team looks like with him and you just don't know how to play him but like with Paul George kind of leading the way for the Clippers on offense and I mean they're a pretty deep team I guess the Jazz just couldn't adapt didn't know how to play against them and give I give credit to playoff p I mean I I do think the run ends here but I think that the way he led them to winning that series kind of dispelled a lot of the the pandemic p thing so Mm -hmm. good for him I
0: mean I completely agree this last week or so has been really big for I don't know if you call it a legacy for Paul George but kind of his reputation right like he has been the scapegoat in a lot of ways for what's been going on with the Clippers the last couple of years and so he's vindicated himself and so I'm happy for him Uh, he's a really good player just not gonna have enough to get over the top in this one
1: right and another guy on the other side that we have to talk about Devin Booker oh yeah had his first career triple double at a very very good time in game one of the Western Conference Finals 40 points 13 rebounds and 11 assists so I think it's safe to say that Kendall Jenner's current boyfriend had a
0: much better day than her former boyfriend, Ben Simmons. What you think? You could make an entire playoff team out of her exes and it would be a pretty good team, actually. Not, not bad. Not bad at all. Devin Booker, he's one of those guys that has just since his rookie year steadily climbed the ladder, right? People thought he was talented coming out, and then he got a little bit better, and every year he's gotten a little bit better, became an all-star, and then now he's like entering that range of possible top 10 player in the NBA, right? Like he, even after Chris Paul is gone, which is going to be pretty soon. Chris Paul's old. I think the Suns team is going to be around because Devin Booker is a monster. And I also think we need to mention DeAndre Ayton, who is starting to come alive right now. He's shooting 72% from the field in the playoffs, averaging 16 and 10 and a half or something like that. Like he's having a great, great series or great playoffs, I should say. So yeah, I think the Suns team, first of all, is my favorite team to watch in the playoffs right now. And secondly, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for a while. Yeah, I love the Suns. Suns in four. I hope that Chris Paul can come back soon. I
1: want them to win the finals at this point, if it's not the Hawks. Of course, if it's Suns-Bucks, I'm for the Suns, but Suns-Hawks would be fun to see. Anyway, circling back to Devin Booker, we talked about at the beginning of the playoffs how it kind of felt like this year could be kind of out with the old guard and with the new, like LeBron's getting old. They weren't healthy. You didn't think that they were going to win it again. Nobody really thought the Miami Heat would be back in the finals, so it just kind of felt like they're could be kind of this new emergence of somebody like Giannis or Donovan Mitchell leading his team to their first ring. But Devin Booker, if he does it, like if the Suns win the finals and he is like clearly their best player during the whole playoff run,
0: I feel like he enters next year as like a clear top five player in the league. Top five is is borderline because there's still a lot of really good guys up there. But yeah, I would say easily top 10 and working his way up towards top five. He's still young. How old is he right now? 24? I was going to say 26, but Let's check. Twenty-seven. Devin Booker is—he's twenty-four. Yeah, doesn't doesn't turn twenty-five until the end of October. So wow, yeah, Yeah, he's got a long runway. He's going to be really good for a long time, and he has skills that are going to continue to like age well, right? He's a shooter, and yeah, he's fun to watch. Yeah, mid-range guy, three-point guy. Also, can I mean he's a a good assist guy. Even though this was his first career triple-double, like he can make plays for other people. I think my favorite part about the Suns, So everyone knows that Devin Booker's good. Everyone knows that CP3 is what he is. and DeAndre Ayton's a young stud. I love, you talked about this with the Hawks. I love the group of wings. They have a great group of wing players that are kind of like three and D guys with Mikkel Bridges and Jay Crowder in the starting lineup. And then Torrey Craig and Cameron Johnson off the bench, who is a sharpshooter. He's one of my favorite shots in the NBA right now, Cam Johnson, like that guy can light it up. So I just love that group because it makes them so versatile to match up with anybody alongside those kind of three Stars. I don't know if you call DeAndre Ayton a star, but aside those three stars, that group of wings can play.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned DeAndre Ayton. He's been really good and really efficient this playoffs. And it's crazy because he was the number one pick in that draft a few years ago, ahead of Luca and ahead of Trey Young. But at this point, like, it's fair to say that's not a bad pick at all. Like, of course you would rather maybe have one of those other two guys, but the way that he fits with Devin Booker and especially Chris Paul, like obviously they didn't need backcourt. They needed front court and he's just really solidified that team and made them really good. Helped make them really good. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because they obviously didn't draft him for that reason, right? They drafted him because they thought he was the best player, but it's worked out really well. They, they got what they got and now they've built around it and it's, it's awesome. He's only 22 also. So, I mean, that's crazy. The team's young.
1: Yeah, they're in good shape. All right, well before we move on from the NBA, just because you mentioned it briefly, what is Kendall Jenner's starting five for a playoff team? It's we Ben Simmons, ben Devin S- Booker. Those Blake, are the Blake Griffin. So who rounds out the starting five? Jordan Kevin, Jordan Clarkson? Kevin Herter, Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. All right, we done with NBA? Yes, yeah, let's, let's move on. All right, so let's move on to some golf. So the US Open was this weekend at Torrey Pines. John Rahm won it. I was really happy to see that. I texted you and Dad on Saturday that he was going to be the guy I was pulling for after what happened. What was that, a month ago? He got disqualified. It's just from, two weeks ago, I think. Two weeks ago, mm-hmm. got disqualified after his round on Saturday. He was dominating the tournament, uh, was informed that he got COVID for the second time, and was pulled from the tournament. That was kind of BS. I didn't like to see that. So I was pulling for him here, and it was on his first Father's Day. He had a, a child a few months ago. Mm-hmm. So i love to see him win, but it was a really
0: fun Sunday at the U.S. Open. What you Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was one of those things where the story was too good for it to not happen. Right. With with what you just mentioned, the tournament. I mean, if you remember when we were doing our master's thing a while back, that's the weekend that he had his first child. Right. So it's pretty recent. Like you said, his dad was in town from Spain on Father's Day. And so, yeah, everything was just kind of coming together. The tournament was really, really fun to watch because at one point in time yesterday, it seemed like we had the entire top 10 in the world all on the leaderboard, right? We had John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau, DJ was up there for a minute, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Colin Morikawa, everybody, uh, Brooks was up there for a minute. Like everybody was at the top. I personally was rooting for my guy, Russell Henley, because he's a Georgia Bulldog and he and I had classes together at UGA and he's a nice guy and he was uh, doing really well, co-leader at least through the first three rounds. But yeah, once, once you're at the top, and you're Russell Henley and the names behind you are those like eight guys that I just mentioned, it's it's just not going to go well. That course really started like anchoring down towards the end. The back nine guys were all over the place and it dispersed really quickly. So it became just a two-man race, but John Rahm was clearly the best man and I'm glad he won.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Russell Henley and that I don't want to say it was predictable, but with all those guys behind him, I mean, how is he supposed to play well with all that poop in his (laughs) pants? Exactly.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. There's just guys with, with more firepower were right behind him and there's just no way to hold him off.
1: No. Yeah. The leaderboard, like you said, was packed and it just felt crazy. I mean, there was one point where DeChambeau took a one stroke lead, like maybe on his seventh or eighth hole of
0: the day. Middle of the round, yeah.
1: And Brooks Koepka was like two strokes behind, and I was just like, all right, let's get a Brooks-Bryson playoff. That would just be incredible television for obvious reasons. They're just always beefing these days. But yeah, So like halfway through Sunday, all of those guys just started to blow up. So bad. Rory blew up. Brooks dropped a couple strokes. Morikawa missed like a three-foot putt, and that kind of derailed his day. Uh, DeChambeau, like I just said, he took a one-stroke lead, and then I think he shot like eight or nine over on the back.
0: Shot a 44 in the back. Yeah, it that was hurts. just
1: horrendous. Not great. But anyway, John Rahm, he was able to to fend off Louis Oostes, and I like Louis too. Shrek's cool. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. And he was, you know, in the lead for most of the round, and John Rahm was charging but couldn't knock down any putts. Like he put himself on the position on the green to have like a 10-foot putt every hole but just missed it and then he birdied uh 17 with a 24 footer and then to tie the lead at the time yes that was sick Mm -hmm. and he just had the incredible fist pumps he'd love to see that seeing the full crowds roaring was just amazing and then on 18 had another good approach shot and then he had an 18 foot putt that broke like four feet left to right and he buried that too and so he took a.
0: What, one stroke lead? It was a one stroke lead at the time. He was six under and Louis was five under. And then Louis had the bogey to go back to four. Ah, Louis's tee shot on 17 yeah. was just heartbreaking. Was it 17 or 16? One of the two. It was bad. Yeah, it was ugly. So that was kind of a wrap after that. But yeah, great performance by John Rahm. One idea that I have seen posed in the last couple of days, it uh, was posed once in relation to the US Open and another time in relation to the Olympic trials. And I think this is a great idea. Let me know what you think is someone said for every major golf tournament, we should throw like a one random 15 to 20 handicapper out there just to see how it like relates to a normal person. Same thing with the Olympic trials. Like you get the Olympic swimmers out there, just throw one random you know, dude in the pool and see how fast they swim it. Just so for a comparison sake, so you can see how much better the golfers or the better the athletes are. I think that sounds like a great idea. So I absolutely love that idea. And I do remember now that you
1: say it, that you've mentioned that before for golf. To throw yeah. just a random, you know, fifteen handicap yeah. golfer out there, but I did see a tweet yesterday talking about how we need to do that for all Olympic sports. There um, go. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I would absolutely hate to be the five dudes who have to trot out there and play Team USA in basketball. Um, yes, yes, <laughs> that that would not be a fun baseline to set at all. But yeah, I get that. I love the idea.
0: I mean, I just, I'm curious what it would look like if you or I were out there in the hundred meter finals for the men's sprinting. Like it would just. It would really put things into perspective for the people.
1: Yeah, I think it would look very slow. I think it might look like a torn hamstring.
0: Yeah, It could look like a lot of things, but it wouldn't be good. When was the last time you ran as fast as you could? Um, like 2008. Yeah, honestly, it was probably when I was in, at
1: least in grad school, I guess. It's been like at least five years. No, I mean, like when we play tennis, we do the Alta Tennis League. There are some points where I guess you're running Pretty much full speed for at least a short distance. I'd be dead. But like, yeah, not not any time recently no. at all for in, in any other context.
0: yeah I'd be in the hospital quickly. It wouldn't be great.
1: Okay, that's all we've got for golf. You want to talk some quick major league baseball? Yes, sir. All right. So I saw today that the top prospect in baseball, shortstop Wander Franco, getting called up by the Tampa Bay Rays tomorrow. That'll be fun to watch. This guy is supposed to be pretty incredible, obviously the number one prospect.
0: Is he the next Mike Drought? He is at least considered the best up and coming prospect since Mike Trout. So, you know, my, my friend Jake has been on his team the last like three years. Really? Yeah. So Jake, I forgot he was in that uh, yeah, program. He's for, in the Rays organization. Yeah, yeah. So, so for the last couple of years until this year, he and Wander Franco won the same team. Um. So he's gotten to watch a lot of him playing baseball. And I've heard some stories. The guy came in to the minor, minor leagues looking like a full grown man, grown man, at like whatever, 17 years old. And has just torn it up. He is a freak on both sides of the ball. Great hitter, great fielder. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, I love the Rays, and so I'm really excited to see him come up.
1: Yeah, me too. I mean, anytime one of these major prospects gets called up, it's really fun to watch, and especially because I feel like more so in recent years than any other time, these top prospects are all panning out. Like we've talked about Vlad Guerrero, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna. They're all just sick. Like they're the best players Mm -hmm. in baseball right now,
0: Juan Soto. So I feel like this is just going to add to the list and I'm excited to watch him. I don't know if this is a fact, but I would venture to guess that he's the first major league baseball player born in 2001. He is. I did see that when I read the article. Okay. Yeah. That's absurd. 2001. He's in the major leagues. How old are we?
1: Yeah. Like I remember um, the whole stat that wasn't at Ricky Rubio that was like the first player drafted in the 90s. Yeah. And now, yeah, we're talking about the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, It makes me feel weird. I don't like that at all. (laughs) I don't like that one bit. Well, the next uh, baseball topic that I've got, something we haven't talked about yet, but at this point I feel like we have to. Why are the San Francisco Giants the best team in baseball? Because
0: freaking Kevin Gossman, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that the answer? Like, I, don't, I think this is not a mystery. is because Kevin Gossman became Cy Young all of a sudden overnight. It, it's truly insane. I mean, they're the best team in
1: baseball, 46-26, and 26, a game and a half ahead of the Dodgers in the NL West. You mentioned Kevin Gossman. He has a 1.51 ERA and a 0. .77 whip. I mean, he would be a clear frontrunner for the NL Cy Young if Jacob deGrom wasn't an alien. But, yeah, yes. he's just leading the way for them. But then have you seen their, like, hitting this year? Like. What? Go ahead. They're getting like really good seasons from Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, and Evan Longoria. It's like these guys are all dinosaurs, especially Buster Posey and Evan Longoria. Like, yeah, if you said those three on? names
0: in like 2012, it would have been like, yeah, that's that's awesome. But yeah. not now.
1: No, especially the last two. They've been washed up for like five years. They might as well sign Tro- Troy Tulowitzki at this point.
0: <laughs> Troy Gloss. Yeah, sure. All the Troys. Bring them yeah. all back. Yeah, I um I've always been a like weirdly big brandon crawford fan because i think he's awesome uh defensively and he's really fun to watch i don't know why but yeah brandon crawford's kind of like one of my guys but yeah buster posey and evan longoria evan longoria was used to be the number whatever he was a top five pick when we first started fantasy baseball which was when 2010 yeah, that's forever ago. Yeah. Because wasn't a long time he ago. on
1: the team that played against the Phillies in the World Series? Yeah, on that Rays team. I think that's so, so long ago. Yeah,
0: he was the top five fantasy pick in twenty ten. So yeah, that was his peak, and he is he was off of the radar in fantasy by like twenty thirteen. So the fact that he's still around seven years later, yeah, unexpected to say the least. Yeah, it's absurd.
1: And then Buster Posey, I saw that he's played like almost every game this year and has like a four eleven OBP. It's
0: like what the hell is this? Yeah, that's dumb. I will go ahead and say that they do not finish top two in that division still. Okay. You think the obviously the Dodgers and
1: the Padres pass them? I mean, that wouldn't surprise me at all. It just feels like their whole team is due for some major regression. We'll see, but I just, we had to mention it at some yes. point.
0: Thank you. And then the last thing is the sticky stuff that we just got to mention it, right? We got to, we got to talk about it for a second. Baseball's crackdown on foreign substances officially begins today on Monday where they are starting to randomly check pitchers for sticky things on their person. It already happened once tonight with the Braves. It was after one of the first few innings, Jacob deGrom was coming off the mound and the umpire went over and checked his glove, his hat, and his belt for sticky stuff. And it wasn't there. And so he said, you're good to go. And they they kept on moving. So just a weird situation. Do you have any just overarching thoughts about this whole deal?
1: Well, this was something that was not even on my radar at all until that whole Garrett Cole interview. Like I didn't realize it was going on, but that was
0: (laughs) absurd.
1: Yeah. He gave the worst answer ever when just asked if he had ever used like spider tack or whatever the sticky stuff of, of choice was. And he just gave a horrendous response that was like a clear, I don't want to talk about it, but yes, I have. And then Tyler Glasnow, he got hurt last week. He hurt his elbow, think yeah UCL like something.
0: partially 20 to ucl He might need tommy john
1: and he kind of indirectly said that like he was not a fan at all of the mid-season crackdown on the sticky stuff and that it was affecting his like
0: <laughs> mechanics it
1: or whatever it, i don't really know it wasn't
0: indirect it was very direct he said the crackdown caused him to hurt his elbow he, he said because they cracked down on sticky stuff he had to change his grips on his pitches and the first game he ever pitched with different grips he towards ucl
1: Yeah, that's just crazy to think about. He just basically straight up said, I got hurt because you won't let me cheat anymore.
0: Yes, it's kind of weird. Like every pitcher has used this for the last... Hundred years. It's not. This is not a few guys. It's everybody. To some extent, are are they all using something, right? The problem was baseball letting this become public. They just should have handled it internally, been like, hey, you can use this, but you can't use this, and just kind of self-policed it, whatever. Letting it get public was the bad part, and now they're just in a in a deep hole, and they're going to have to crack down on it because now people know about it. There's videos circulating of Trevor Bauer putting in his glove, and just like everybody uses it, so it's it's a weird situation. I don't know what to think of it. Me either,
1: but I am kind of glad it's happening because I don't feel like it's a coincidence that a month, maybe six weeks ago, we were talking about how There was some building momentum about how they needed to move the mound back in baseball because the way that the pitchers throw these days, they're all throwing 100 miles an hour. They're all throwing with these unprecedented spin rates. Like they started talking about, do we need to move the mound back two feet? And all of a sudden, baseball's like, we can't have this. Like, we need more hitting. The pitchers are too far ahead. We're acknowledging that. Let's crack
0: down on it. So I really wish I had some numbers in front of me, but I watched this super interesting video probably a week or two ago. And they got some random Joe Schmo, like you or me, out there who threw a fastball. And they had whatever machine out there that tracks spin rate on the ball. And then they had him put spider tack on his hands and throw another fastball. And the spin rate increased significantly with one of us. So you can only imagine that it would increase a lot with a major league pitcher. And then they pulled the stats from StatCast for major league baseball batting average against fastballs based on spin rate. And when the spin rate goes up like 400 RPMs or whatever, the the batting average against goes significantly down. So it was bottom line is they were really proving that the spin rate on a ball significantly impacts your ability to hit that ball because of how much it moves in the air. And so, yeah, this is a big deal as far as hitters are concerned. It's going to make it a lot easier to hit the baseball I just hope it doesn't negatively affect pitchers in terms of injuries this much. So yeah, it's only going to be time that tells us what happens, but it's a very interesting thing to to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah. And it's a good change for baseball. They, they need more runs. They need more excitement. You don't want, idiots like Wade Miley and whoever else this season throwing no hitters. I think there were six early in the season, kind of at a historic pace. That's just not good for the game. So I'm glad they're cracking down.
0: Yeah. Hopefully fewer strikeouts too. I think we've all kind of had enough of seeing guys go up there and strike out 200 times in a season. It's just ridiculous.
1: Right. And then one last thing on the sticky stuff in baseball. I saw a video like a week ago and it was captioned like Major League Baseball should have known that sticky substances were a problem when this happened. The video was from years ago. And it's somebody throwing a pitch. I don't know if it's Adam Wainwright, but it bounces and uh, Yadier Molina blocks it. You saw this? I, know,
0: I haven't seen this recently, but I remember when this happened. And yeah, yeah I never really thought about it that until now connecting the two because everyone played it off as if it got stuck between the ridges of his vest but clearly it was a sticky ball
1: yeah so t- t- yeah to finish the story so he throws the pitch in the dirt Yadier Molina goes down to block it like normal starts like f- kind of turning around takes off his mask is looking around for where the ball is the runners are advancing while this is happening and then the crowd all of a sudden starts laughing and pointing and you look down and the ball is stuck to his chest protector yeah. it's like what do you, what do you think going on Like, that, that, and that's not about a small amount of sticky stuff like if a ball if a baseball hits a catcher's hard chest protector at 90 miles an hour you know how much stuff has to be on that ball for it to stick a lot a lot a
0: lot yeah it's not great that's an interesting point i'd never put those two together until right now because i do remember exactly what you're talking about from a few years ago yeah it's it's a strange one
1: It is. And and so that kind of tells you how long it's been going on and how many pitchers are doing it, like even if it's some of the good guys like Adam Wainwright. But it just it makes it tricky to cut down on it midseason. Yes.
0: So it's been going on since long before we were born. Yeah. Hopefully the pitchers can adjust to it, but I think it'll be a good change. More runs. We'll see. All right. Well, we don't have any basketball going on tonight, but I am about to watch Jack Leiter against NC State in the College World Series. So looking forward to that. Thank you all for tuning in once again. Don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We'll be back next Monday. Have a good day.